Okay, good afternoon, lads and gentlemen. Welcome to the Pushing Rubber Podcast with your host with the most, Adam Piggott, coming to you from Holland, the Netherlands, the Low Countries, the Piazzi Bassi at episode 130, 130 of the Pushing Rubber Podcast. Uh, and today is the 22nd of December, which means that it's the first day of winter in the Northern Hemisphere and the shortest day of the year. So from tomorrow, things start to get a little bit lighter, but of course the sun goes into its weakest phase. That means we might get some cold down here. Uh, speaking of weather, of course, Australia is currently on fire um, from heat and bushfires. I uh, When I went hunting yesterday and there was some uh, guys there that hadn't met me before, some of them were long just as guests of other club members, and uh, the first thing is, oh, have you seen Australia's on fire? Oh, have you seen Australia's really hot? And I kind of just looked at them. It's called summer. That's what happens in summer down there. And uh, there's a really old uh, Dutchy guy down there. He's great, very, very grizzled. He's in his late 70s. Just a great, great guy. Big father Christmas beard. He used to be an offshore welder and one of the really talented ones. I mean, he used to get flown around first class in the 80s and 90s to fix major problems on all rigs and around the world he's absolutely loaded and uh when i said this he just slapped his thigh and laughed uproariously because he's worked in australia as well and he was like yep 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 exactly what he said i said to the guys look uh i routinely worked in plus 50 degrees centigrade temperatures out in the desert and and uh old grizzle guy goes yeah 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 53 for me 53 degrees in the shade Everyone's looking at the two of us with with that that classic look on their face, on someone's face, which is, you mean, you mean what the media tells me is not true? <laughs> no, no, it's not. Uh, Australia's hot in summer, but fundamentally hot, always has been. And uh, tell you what, it was a darn side hotter back when I was a teenager. Tell you that right now. Because uh, I've been keeping an eye on the daily temps uh, in Perth and Melbourne. Perth, where I'm from, and Melbourne, where I spent uh, my last three three or so years in Australia before I moved to the Netherlands. Uh, so, you know, I've got interest in keeping up to date. It's nothing special. Nothing special at all. Oh, you had some days in the 40 degree, low 40 degree centigrade range. There you go. That's what happens in Australia in summer. So, um, yeah, nothing to see there. As regards to all the bushfires and a thousand hounds, homes being burnt to a crisp, firefighters dying and, you know, birds dropping dead and all the rest of it. That's what happens when you, uh, you know, lock up John Howard, so-called conservative prime minister John Howard. Uh, for me, the worst prime minister in Australia's history, which is saying something. Yes, yeah, even worse than uh, Gough Whitlam. Uh, John Howard, uh, to uh, get with the Kyoto Agreement, decided to lock up all of the state forests in Australia as carbon sinks so he could hit all of his uh, Kyoto targets and go, yep, look at us, we're, we're brilliant. Instead of telling them all to get fucked, that's what he did, which meant that, uh, well, we couldn't clear the forests, control burn the forests anymore uh, because that would upset the carbon targets. And now, 20 years later, of all of that fuel building up, boom, here we go. We've got a massive, massive fires all around the country, but no one saw that one coming, eh? 
I would like to hold hope that, uh, you know, this would cause that to change, but the current so-called Conservative uh, government hasn't said a thing about it. The only thing that happens is that the Prime Minister was bullied into cutting his uh, holiday short after what's obviously been a hell of a year for him on an uh, election year. Uh, a week or so in Hawaii, and he had to come scurrying back with his tail between his legs, you know. Whereas the previous previous Conservative Prime Minister with any balls, which was Tony Abbott, uh, actually fought while Prime Minister as a firefighter on the front lines and got mocked and derided for it as being an attention seeker. So, of course, with the left, you can never win. And that's the whole point. You don't... You don't seek agreement with the left. You don't seek. Uh, you don't seek any any meeting of the minds, any common ground, anything like that. There's no point anymore because uh, they they just rightly perceive that as weakness and go for the juggler every single time. And you know, so-called conservatives uh, keep uh, failing to understand that fundamental truth. Um, Donald Trump is one who's got a few balls, of course, obviously, he's been impeached. Well, he hasn't been impeached this week because it has to go to the Senate and they'll probably tell the House to get fucked. Uh, but uh, he'll milk this for all it's worth. I think the impeachment circus is just that. It's a circus designed by the Democrats, Democrats to deflect attention away from some of the really nefarious shit that they've been doing over the last decade and is now starting to come to the fore. So if they can drown the media out in a 24-7 cycle of impeach, 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 they're hoping they can scuttle away uh, with uh, whatever, whatever comes out not really, you know, being widely disseminated. Uh, I give them a good chance on that. I give them a good chance on that happening. I know that a lot of people on the nationalist side of politics, my side of politics, Say, oh, you know, this is the day. It's all going to come out now. Well, no, it's not. Because you know what? A lot of stuff's come out. A lot of stuff has come out that in 40 or 50 years ago would have seen these same people swinging from lampposts. Now it's just water's off a duck, water off a duck's back. No one really cares. So I, I, I see them getting away with it myself. I will be, I'll be very pleasantly surprised if uh, uh, the Democrats uh, or the 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 treasonous degenerate scumbags in the US get their comeuppance, but I, I seriously doubt it. I seriously, seriously doubt it indeed. There's no such thing as justice. Uh, only God can dish that one out, so, you know. And who are, who are we to dispense it in this day and age? It's only in, in ridiculous movies that, uh, you know, that sort of thing happens. Speaking of ridiculous movies, uh, we've got... Uh, Hang on, I should just hang on a sec. Um, the Star, new Star Wars uh, film came out at the end of Skywalker. Oh, I don't know what it's called. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, the whole internet's going crazy with either, you know, fully for it and it's the best thing ever, that's the prog left, or this film is terrible and horrible and, and it's, a, it's a mockery of our values and the SJWs have destroyed finally forever and ever amen the star wars universe that's the the, the nationalist right supposedly my side uh, and you know i i sit firmly in the i don't give a fuck camp on this one um uh, when the because it's the last trilogy when the first one of this last trilogy came out with the obvious mary sue character i did write about it i never saw the film 
but I did write about it. Uh, the last one, the, the second one in that trilogy came out. I didn't say anything, and, and this one's come out. All I'm going to say is is that um, if you think these three films are bad, and if you think the three films before them were bad, let me tell you, take off your nostalgia glasses because the original three films were absolute dreck. They were dreck. Absolute crap. You know why? Because they were kids' films. They were kids. They were films for kids. And I know I saw the first film at the cinema when it was released in 1977 at six years of age, and I thought it was absolutely the bee's knees. And for the next five years of my life, more, the next six years of my life, it was everything Star Wars, amongst other stuff. I swear I had every Star Wars toy known to man. If I could get all those toys back now, I'd have an absolute fortune. I had the Hoth planet on Empire Strikes Back where there was the actual rebel base and it had the rebel guns and the rebel shield and this was quite large and you could press a button and it would just fall to pieces like it was exploding and then inside you could see all the bits. I had, and, you, and you could fit your Star Wars figures in. I had that. I had that. It must be worth a fortune. Second film, I loved it. I loved it. It was even better than the first. And in my 11-year-old sophistication, you know, I could really see what was going on here. Third film, Return of the Jedi, I was like, oh. I could see some problems developing. I think I was 13 or 12 or 13 when the, I think it was 12 when the Return of the Jedi came out or 13. I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this one. We'll go with it. But the, I mean, the first, the first third of the film, of course, was brilliant. You know, the whole Tatooine, Leia, slave, princess, Jabba the Hutt sort of stuff. That was great, you know. And the whole battle out there on the, on the, with the whatever it was. And then, you know, Ewoks and, and then they're all dancing at the end. when the, the, And it was a third death, a second Death Star. It was like, even I, my 12-year-old brain was, couldn't you come up with something else? Could you, can you come up with, uh, no. Um, they were kids' films, people. They were kids' films. The adults of the day didn't go and watch them. My parents didn't. My father was a big film guy. He didn't watch Star Wars. Uh, if, if he did watch Star Wars, I can tell you, well, he was very, very unmoved by it. Uh, it was just a kids' film. That's what it was, with, with, with really good special effects for the time. They put a lot of work into the special effects. The special effects was the only thing special about Star Wars. So when it went to CGI... The whole special effects thing went out. The, oh, we'll, we can do anything, so we'll do everything. That's, there's only one decent film. And, uh, sorry, there's only one decent scene in the entire pantheon of Star Wars movies, and that's the cantina scene from Star Wars, the original one. That's it. Everything else is just complete dreck. So when I, when I see grown men arguing over this latest Star Wars film, I, I, have, to, I have to kind of like wonder what... What's going on? These are kids' films, you know? Oh, but kids are being brainwashed by the SJWs with the... Oh, no, they won't. They're kids. They're kids. Let them go and be kids. They've got plenty of time for fighting SJWs in the future. Let them go watch this new Star Wars Drek. But as adults, you shouldn't be watching the Star Wars Drek. Yeah? It's, uh, you know... I don't know what you should be watching because all the films are shit lately. That 1917 film looks pretty good, all shot in one take. That looks pretty good because there's no, there's no, there's no diversity in that one. Let's hear that right now. <laughs> I can see that being, and all, all the SAWs and we're like, 
Where's the diversities? Where's the gay character? <laughs> I noticed this week that a, uh, a man in Iowa was sentenced to 16 years in jail for bur- stealing from a church a rainbow gay homo flag and burning it. 16 years. So the homo flag is more sacred than the actual American flag in America. Uh, 16 years. Um, I think it was uh, Soviet men uh, went and did a bit of a on his linky thing that he does on Friday. He uh, he went and looked at other court cases, recent court cases in the same state. Murder, rape, uh, eight years, ten years, child molestation, six years, uh, whatever, whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter. Burn a gay flag, 16 years. We're going to throw the gay book at you. Uh, and that goes with all things fag. Uh, I now have a zero tolerance policy for fags. Absolutely zero tolerance. I'll call it out whenever I see it. I don't care. I don't care. They've shot their bolt. Do that right now. I watched a film this week that definitely didn't have any fags in it, and that was the original Conan the Barbarian. And uh, it's... Uh, i got to say, it holds up. It holds up so much that... Someone asked me recently, you know, oh, what are your favourite films? Because, you know, they were trying to uh, you know, find things to say because we were stuck in a car driving for three hours together. It was a girl, actually. And uh, and when when she said it, I was like, oh, "You're really you're really desperate for conversation now, aren't you?" So she kind of laughed and went, "Well, it's either this or fall asleep." And I said, "Just fall asleep." You know, I'll keep doing the driving. And uh, I mentioned the La Grande Bellezza to her. I said, oh, "That's why that's probably my favourite film. Uh, it's the Italian, uh, the Great Beauty in English. Love that film. Uh, and I've written about that before, but." Um, then, of course, I, I popped over Conan the Barbarian this week. I was like, well, honestly, no, I finished it. I have to say, has to be one of my favourite films of all time. Favourite films. I mean, it's really up there. It's It beats every other fantasy film in existence. Yes, I include the Lord of the Rings trilogy in that. Um, because it's magical, it's gritty... The music, God, the music is, uh, Basil's score is absolutely outstanding. Um, I'm desperate, desperate to find uh, an original Conan the Barbarian LP from that movie. That would be absolutely brilliant. If anyone, if anyone's got a Barbarian, Conan the Barbarian original LP, 1982 film, I'd really like to have it, I tell you. I really would. You can send all your gifts to me. Um, And the movie itself, right from the word go, is just chock full of red pill masculine messages. It's just great. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples that just spring to mind off the top of my head. Uh, at the very at the start of the film, of course, Conan's father is forging the steel sword, and the whole you know the, the titles at the start go through all that process. 
with the great music, French horns and uh, and uh, drums bearing. Dun 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 dun. That's good. And uh, then you've got Conan and uh, as a child sitting with his father on the side of a mountain and talking. He's got the sword. The father's got the sword. He's talking about the sword and he's. And he basically says to young Conan, you know, uh, you can't trust anyone in life. You can't trust, you know, men, women, your own children, anyone. No one's trustworthy, including me. You can't trust me. But the steel, this you can trust. This you can trust. Which means, as a man, you have to trust yourself. Because as a man, the hand of the man wields the steel. The steel doesn't wield itself. Uh, and it's basically saying that as a man, you have to be strong enough to wield that steel and be able to trust in your own abilities. And that's a great message, especially in today's day and age. And that's what Conan discovers as he goes through the film, because the film, the real the journey of the hero, Conan, is the search for the riddle of steel. And that is what his father meant at the beginning. So that's a, that's a great, great message, especially especially for men today, and not not just young men, but all all men, you know. And um, I really discovered that finally for myself, where it 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 there was no doubt anymore when my ex wife walked out on me, because I, I, I thought I could trust her, and it turned out that I couldn't at all. Quite the opposite, in fact. And if I look over my life, um, and I, I look through all the people that I've come into contact with in important interactions, whether it's in a professional or friendship or family, whatever the case may be, I would have to say that Everyone at some point who I thought I could trust has let me down in some way. Everyone. And that's okay. Because uh, we're not perfect. And I've forgiven very close friends for letting me down very badly. I've let it go and moved on from it. And in a couple of cases, those friendships are much, much stronger as a result. And they know. It's not that I've got something over them. It's like I basically, all right, okay. Okay, you're going to do that. All right. That's fine. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to rise above it. But I'm not going to rub your face in it. I'm just going to let you know and state in equivocally, absolutely, what my position on it is, and then I move forward. I've said my piece. In a, in a few cases where people have let me down badly, that's been that's been it. Um, and in in all of those situations, every person is unique. Yeah. Of course, our, our shared history is important. All that sort of thing. But um, it's a really good message in that movie. And it's something that all of you listening, if you don't already know it, really take to heart. That you can't 
trust anyone in this world except for the sword that you wield with your own hand. And even then, the sword might break. And in the film, Conan's father's sword breaks when he's fighting another man who's wielding it. So a great message. A great message on very, very many levels. The other... uh, the other scene in the film that I really, really like is after... Uh, so Conan goes along and he, he finds two companions. He's got uh, Subatai, which is uh, uh, a thief archer, uh, played by... Um, what's his name? Jerry... Jerry something. He was a Hawaiian uh, world surfing champion, and this was one of the few film roles he ever did, and, one of the, and the first one. Uh, and just a natural actor, just very, very comfortable in it. And uh, probably my favourite character from the film. Seemed like a really cool guy. He lives in Oregon now and still makes surfboards and um, snowboards, which you can order uh, from him directly. That'd be cool, eh? If I was still into uh, surfing, I'd pick one up. But I'm not, because I live in fucking Holland. Um... And uh, his other companion, of course, which is uh, that turns out to be the love of of his of, the, of his life and the love of the film for him, the blonde chicky baby. Can't remember her name. We'll just call her the blonde chicky babe because uh, it narrows it down quite considerably. And she was not a really professional actor either at the time, and this turned out to be a bigger biggest role. She won a Golden Globe for it, I think. Um, and she was, I think, really wonderfully cast because she was, she was beautiful without being Hollywood beautiful. Um, she fit the role perfectly, uh, and an, an early example of girl power. Of course, the the femo lesos won't uh, bring that one to mind, but she does off quite a few blokes during the film with a sword. Hawak. Um, anyway, they've just, uh, broken into, uh, a snake temple and stolen a whole bunch of jewels and they're lit, they're loaded and they go on a bit of a binge and eventually it cuts to a scene and they're, her and Conan are by themselves. It's nighttime inside, you know, some luxurious room. They're all dressed, you know, in finery and they've got all their jewels and gold and, you know, all the rest of it. And they've been tasked with a mission by the local king to go and rescue his daughter from the same cult that killed Conan's parents. The same cult whose temple that they stole all the stuff from. Uh, and it would be a very dangerous, if not suicidal, mission. You know, but the king promises them great, great wealth. But as Blanchicky Babe points out to Conan, they've already got the great wealth now. Why don't we just... She whispers in his ear... In an imploring, in a, in a, in a, in a, not in a sneaky way, but in a, in an honest and open way, she, she doesn't want to go, do this mission, because she values what she have has with Conan too much, and she says to Conan at one point, you know, I used to walk alone at night, and I would peer into doorways and see couples, and they had each other, and I had no one, but now I have you. I don't want to be alone in the night anymore. Let's let this go. Let this. 
let these people go that killed your family and all your people. You and I can be together. It'll be the best thing ever. And she's very genuine. She's like she's uh, she's not playing a, a game on him or anything like that. It's a it's a really pivotal moment because you look at her and you look at what she's saying as a man, and you could believe that. You could do that. You could go with her and leave your vendetta, uh, leave the mission behind that the king has given you, and go and play happy families with her and raise raise a brood of barbarian kids and live happily ever after. And Conan doesn't say a word. You know, she's got her arms wrapped around him. She's talking from the side of his ear and she's holding on to him. And see, look in his face. He's just pondering all this. And then the scene cuts the next morning she wakes up and the other side of the bed is empty and Conan is gone. He didn't even say goodbye. He's like, I'm off. And this goes to the heart of um, one of uh, something that Roycey and Rollo and myself and others have been saying for quite some time is that as a man... You're based, you're defined by your mission in life. You can't let your life be defined by a woman. You must have your mission. A woman has to be in the periphery of things, but not in the center of things, because you make her the center of things. And if Conan had said yes to her, then she would have come to despise him because she would have eventually seen him as weak. What's wrong with him? Why doesn't he want to go out and avenge the people who you know, killed his parents and slaughtered his entire village? Why wouldn't he want to do that? And things probably wouldn't have gone well at all. She would have lost all respect for him. And so that's a, that's a critical moment in the film. It's the halfway point of the film. It's an absolutely critical moment. Um... And the fact that Conan doesn't wake her up and explain or anything like that is also really, really important. He just does. And she follows him, of course. Um, And helps him out big time. That not explaining thing, don't pass over that as if it's just, uh, just a quirk. That's something that I really have had to learn the hard way with women is that if you disagree, you don't get logical with them. You don't try and explain why you have your point of view. You just state it. And that's it. And you're not going to try and convince them. You're not going to try and win them over. You're not going to try and educate them or anything like that because by doing so, it just plays into their hands and demeans yourself as a man. You just state it. This is it. Bang. It's like this. You don't agree with it? Oh, fine. Bad luck. Bad luck, because this is the way it is. So Conan didn't do any... He didn't... Well, the whole time in the scene where she's, you know, imploring him to just go away, he doesn't say a word. There's no argument back and forth. There's no, oh, well, you know, I really want to go avenge the people who killed my parents, you know. Well, you know, yeah, okay, you know, we could live together, it'd be nice, but none of that. She states a case, he listens silently, the next day he's gone. Bang. There's so much to mine 
in a masculinity red pill sense in that in that scene. It's just not funny. And when I saw it again this week, I was watching the film, I was like, wow. I just put it on pause. I was like, let's see that again. Let's see that again. And wow. Wow. They really knew what they were doing. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why Conan the Barbarian, the original Conan the Barbarian, is such a great film because they just got everything right. Because they treat... They treat Conan seriously in the film. It's not slapstick. They treat him and who he is seriously. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, was the personification of Conan the Barbarian. What's sad about Conan the Barbarian these days is uh, the fan groups. Because they're made up of Weasley guys. And the photos I've seen, they're made up of Weasley guys you could literally blow over with a, with a feather. Down they go. And that's a bit sad. But that film, that film has many red pill truths. Also about friendship. The dynamic of friendship he has with Subutai. That's... uh, There's some excellent lessons in there as well. You should watch it. It's on YouTube in its entirety. I'm not going to link it. Because every time, every time I find a film I like on YouTube that's on YouTube, the whole thing, and I link it, Within a day, it's down. It's like fucking Warner Brothers and everyone else just watches my website. I don't know what's going on. I, I linked to Have and Have Not this last week. I found it, full film, it's full and entire. It had been up for ages. No one had ever touched it. I linked it on my blog. I had it open. I had the page open. I was a third of the way into the film and then I paused it because I had to go and do some other stuff. I was a third of the way in the film. I linked it on my blog. And then I went back to it that evening. It was gone. I'd taken it down. Ah, breach of copyright, Warner Brothers. To have and have not? Really? 1944? Are you serious? So I'm, I'm not linking it in any way, shape or form. Just trust me, Conan the Barbarian, the original film is on YouTube. Uh, so, And it's been on there for a while, a long while. So go and watch it. And go and watch the, the Red Pill Truths. With which you see, and if we if we compare the 1982 Conan kind of the Barbarian with this latest Star Wars Detris, the latest Star Wars Detris is for kids. Conan kind of the Barbarian, not just for adults, it's for men. That's the film you should be watching. And the original books by Robert E. Howard are... Uh, even the, um, the spin-offs by L. Sprague de Camp. Pretty good too. Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones was just soft porn. That's all Game of Thrones was. Lord of the Rings, the first film 
was good. It was atm- atmospheric. It was it was it was actually frightening in certain passages. I found it, you know, quite oh shit, a bit worried here. What's going to go on now? Um, the second film was good. The Two Towers, uh, lots of CGI, but still, you know, held in there. The third film, when uh, Legolas the elf kind of uses his sh- a shield to snowboard down the side of a banister on a big stone staircase while shooting his arrows. Uh, that was that was it. And for that reason, I never saw the Hobbit films, and apparently I didn't miss anything. Uh, if, you're, if you're not taking yourself seriously um, when you're doing these sort of films, then it, then it just shows. Um, what would be my other favorite fantasy film? Because of course, the fantasy genre for me was an important one. Because uh, I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and reading all of those sort of books, I would say a very obscure film called Hawk the Slayer. Uh, early eighties, I think it had Jack Palance in it. Um, dark, dark, dark film, um, but uh, really good, and just the best worst electronic eighties movies uh, music ever. Um, I've also got a soft spot for uh, Lady Hawk with Rutger Hauer. Um, I uh, I enjoyed that film on many levels, many many levels indeed. But Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, the second one, no. Uh, the music's great once again, but um. They didn't. They failed to take Conan seriously, as they did in the first film. They failed to take him seriously, and it was just, it was just a, a cheesy adventure. There were no red pill lessons or anything like that. They should have done something along the lines of him fighting to gain the kingdom that he gained or lose the kingdom that he gained um, rather than the demon sorcerer crap that uh, came out. It wasn't any good, uh, which was a real shame, real shame. Uh, of course, the Conan film that came out a few years ago, um, I I didn't watch. Um, and I, I read everything I needed to read about that film and no, I'm not, I'm not going to go watch that one. Um, and like I said, Game of Thrones is just soft porn. So, you know, what are you going to do about that? Hey, it's the holidays. It's the holidays. I've been on holiday for a week. I've actually slept in a few days till like 7.30, which is astounding. Um, that's a big sleep in for me. It's been very good. Uh, tomorrow, Monday evening... Uh, Australian Melbourne time. Let me just check the time. Uh, 9pm. Australian Eastern uh, Daylight Saving Time. Tomorrow night, the 23rd of uh, December. I'm uh, going live on uh, the XYZ live stream. Uh, with uh, David Hiscox and whoever else he grabs on. Uh, so 
check that one out. I might be going live with uh, Aaron Clary on uh, Christmas Eve, but the time difference is really killer. Uh, I've got to talk to him about that. I'm not really sure. Uh, so yeah, we'll just have to see about that one. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm weighing it up and seeing or not whether I can get there with Cappy. Uh, speaking of Aaron Clary, Cappy, uh, he sponsors this podcast. Um, and uh, you can go check out his site at captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. Uh, his podcast, he's got a couple of podcasts, different uh, you know episodes that he puts out on different older brother podcasts and his normal podcast. Uh, he used to do a no swearing podcast, but I think uh, I think that fell by the wayside. Uh, of course, he's got his uh, asshole consultancy YouTube business and all of his books, and he's working on his latest book now, which is a book about the millennial generation. And uh, he's been sending me a few chapters to uh, proofread for him, and um, yeah, so far pretty good. Uh, and I'll review that when it comes out. Uh, I'm also going to be doing a review of. Matt Forney's Terror House magazine's uh, first uh, publication is Terror House Publishing. It's called Letters from a Heartbroken Pervert by uh, someone under a non-diplume called um, Richard... Uh, what is it? Hang on, I've got it here somewhere. Uh, Richard Power. Um, so I should have that up next week. Uh, if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Um, press like and please subscribe to the SoundCloud feed. Uh, you can subscribe to my blog, pushingrubberdownhill.com. You can buy my books, Pushing Rubber Downhill, A Journey to Manhood via Conan the Barbarian and Whitewater Adventures, and Run Guts Pull Cones, a rafting adventure in the Italian Alps with Conan the Barbarian. Um, thanks for listening. I hope you have a very, very, very Merry Christmas um, and that uh, you get lots of nice prezzies. And um, I've been very kindly invited uh, to a few different uh, uh, people's homes and um, other locations for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, day after Christmas Day, Boxing Day, second Christmas Day, as they call it here in Holland, which is really lovely. So uh, everyone's looking out for me here, uh, which is much appreciated. And um, thanks for listening, guys. As always, this has been a pushing rubber downhill uh, production. And uh, don't you go changing. Ciao.